Okay, so John chapter 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I've revealed to you, I have revealed you to those who you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. I want you to picture this. Uh, You've finished a big assignment at uni, part part of a group assignment maybe, a friend from your class, uh, you're just uh, so thankful that it's over, you want to celebrate. A friend says, hey, we're going out, Uh, come drinking with us. Or it's after work on a Friday, Uh, maybe it's after you win your footy grand final, 
And they say the same thing, come drinking with us. And if it was just a quiet drink, maybe that would be okay, but you know that it's going to get messy. What do you say? Do you politely say no? Will they be offended if you don't go? Do you go but don't drink? Do you drink but not too much? Will they be offended if you don't join in with them as much as they're doing it? Can a Christian go on a pub crawl? What about a hen's night or a bucks party for a non-Christian friend? Where you, you know where that party is going to end up. And yet, they're your friend and, and you love them and you want to uh, be with them. How do you negotiate that? And what criteria do you use to make that decision? Uh, do you make it on the basis of a relationship? Uh, is it on the basis of holiness? Uh, it's not easy. How should Christians relate to the world? It's such an important question because it'll have a huge impact on how we live, right? Uh, down to uh, every decision we make. I know uh, Christian friends who are choosing to delete Facebook, right? Delete Instagram because of uh, how that uh, leads them in life. Should we be doing that? How do you make that decision? How should Christians relate to the world? That's what we're looking at tonight here from uh, John 17. It's the final part of Jesus' farewell speech to his disciples. As he gets ready to go out into the night uh, to be arrested and to face the cross, uh, the last thing he does is he prays for them. And it's a prayer that sums up his ministry for his disciples and it also looks forward to how they're going to relate to the world once he's gone. So they're the, the two things that we're going to look at tonight. We're going to firstly look at how Jesus relates to the world and then how the disciples relate to the world after him. Two parts. Uh, firstly, Jesus. Jesus' relationship to the world is summed up, uh, if you just glance back to chapter 16, verse 28. Have a look with me. Uh, it's weirdly simple. Verse 28. Jesus says, I came from the Father... And entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Just two simple movements. Jesus came from the Father, he's going back. Easy, right? Very simple. But actually, it explains heaps, heaps about Jesus. Uh, those two movements tell us uh, so much about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Uh, so firstly, it tells us who Jesus is, because we know where he's from. Uh, he's not from the world, he's from the Father. Now, knowing where someone is from is one of the keys to understanding that person, right? I was born in Kununurra, uh, and that explains why I hate winter so much, and I had to wear my jacket all the way up to the front here, like I'm always cold, and I hate it. Uh, and you can't get Ez until you know that she's from a small farm outside the little town of Scone in New South Wales. And once you get that, you kind of get her. Uh, but where Jesus, where Jesus is from doesn't tell you about his weather preference or uh, the kind of quirks uh, that he's going to have. Uh, it tells you about his nature, 
who he is. He's the glorious eternal son. He shares the eternal glory of the father because he's from the father. Have a look at verse 5. He says, as he's praying, he says, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This is the glorious Son, eternally one with the Father, because he's from the Father. So it explains who Jesus is and it explains what he does. He's God's agent. Uh, the word that Jesus use, is, uses is that he's, he's been sent, sent from the Father. He's been sent as God's representative, his, his agent. So that is his job. His mission is transmission, to bring the Father to the world. Have a look at verse, verse 6. He says, I have revealed you, the Father, to those whom you gave me out of the world. He's come down and revealed the Father to the disciples sent to reveal God. Uh, at the moment, we rent a house directly from the owner, uh, but we used to rent a house through an agent. Actually, it was Betty. Um, and if you've, if you've rented, you know how that works. You go through the agent, and basically, the agent is the owner, right? Because they come with all of the power of the owner, with the instructions from the owner to make sure that, you know, my kids aren't drawing on the walls, uh, that kind of thing. They, the agent acts on the owner's behalf. And if the agent comes with a message, then it's from the owner, and it's like the owner is speaking. And Jesus is God's agent. But he's the perfect agent, right? Because he is God himself, the glorious Son, united to the Father, dwelling with him, come down with this mission of transmission to make the Father known. Now, hang on a second. I thought Jesus' mission was to save us, right? Uh, to, to die for our sins and to bring us eternal life. And now you're telling me that his mission is to reveal the Father. So what's up with that? Which is it? Well, it's both, right? They're the same thing. Have a look at verse 3. Uh, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is eternal life. See, we're used to talking about Jesus coming down to save us and to rescue us from sin, like he's some kind of heavenly lifesaver who has the binoculars out and he's kind of looking around uh, for someone to save. And that's true, right? That's what Jesus does. He comes to save, but it's not just that. He doesn't just uh, save us and drop us on the beach and then kind of wander off. The whole point is that he's bringing us to the Father. And as he comes near, he brings God's presence. And he wants us to start eternal life now as we know God, as we know him as our Father, and as he reveals God to us. Ultimately, as he reveals God to us in the cross, as he glorifies uh, brings glory to God and God glorifies him in the cross. And we see God's love for enemies. That is eternal life, to be reunited with God, to have that relationship with God as our Creator, our Father. And that has started now if you know the one that the Father has sent. So that's my challenge to you this evening. Uh, expand what you know 
about Jesus. Uh, Expand what you know about Jesus. Uh, Expand what you know about the cross. Not just that it saves us, but uh, that it reveals God's glory to us, who God is. Start now, start digging into who God is, knowing Him. That's what uh, Jesus has come for and that's what He has saved us for. On January 7, 1855, the minister of New Park Street Chapel in Southwark, England, opened his morning sermon as follows. It has been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings and the existence of the great God whom he calls Father. Uh, Those words were spoken by C.H. Spurgeon. He was 20 years old. Dig deep start now uh, getting to know God through the one he has sent Jesus so Jesus comes from the father and his mission is transmission what about the second movement that uh, Jesus is leaving the world and going back to the father Uh, that second movement uh, tells us how that mission is going to continue through the disciples even though Jesus is leaving He's going to continue making the Father known through His Spirit who He's going to send and through the disciples. Have a look with me. Uh, Verse 8, talking about the disciples, He says, As you, Father, sent me into the world, I have sent them, the disciples, into the world. And then later on He says, My prayer is not for them alone, not for the disciples alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their message. Jesus Uh, reveals the Father to the disciples and then the next step is that he leaves, sends his spirit and the disciples go on and share that message with the world. It's like Paul Revere's Midnight Ride. If you know this, uh, Paul Revere was a silversmith in Boston at the time of the American Revolution and uh, the story goes that on the 18th of April, 1775, uh, a young lad overheard some British troops uh, talking um, and realised that they were going to start marching on the revolutionary headquarters in Lexington. And so the kid managed to get word to Paul Revere. Uh, Paul Revere gets on his horse and he rides through the night, uh, through the whole county, uh, onto Lexington and stops at every town, every village along the way and uh, spreads this message, sounds the alarm, the British are coming, get ready. And so uh, every house that he... Uh, raises, uh, they get up and they go out and tell the surrounding villages and uh, the American militia kind of rise up and are ready to meet the British there in the morning. And it's exactly like that. Uh, Jesus comes from heaven as uh, the true word of the Father, revealing God. And as his disciples uh, see him, meet him, uh, they know the Father And then they take that word and they pass it on uh, everywhere. And so those two movements uh, form the foundation for how Christians are to relate to the world, that Jesus came from the Father 
and that he's gone back to the Father. That Jesus comes with this, this mission of transmission to make the Father known and that that continues even after he's gone because the Spirit comes and starts that work in the disciples to transmit that message on beyond them. There's two things I want to uh, draw out from this passage. That this, this mission of transmission, of making the Father known, has a goal and a consequence. The goal is unity in the church and the consequence is animosity in the world. Unity in the church, animosity from the world. So the goal is unity in the church. Have a look at verse 22 there. He says, I've given them the glory that you gave me. Why? That, you, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. That's the goal. Unity. But see what unity means there. It's being drawn into that same intimate relationship that the Son has with the Father, being drawn into that. It's unity around Jesus. It's not just uniformity of appearance. It's not just getting along with each other, regardless of differences. Uh, It's about being united around Christ. Now, uh, people might ask you questions about, like, why are there so many denominations? What's the deal with denominations? Uh, if Christians are meant to have unity, why, why do we have so many different churches? Uh, but I don't think this is saying that you can't have denominations. Um, it's, it's not entirely true that a denomination means that Christians are, aren't united. Uh, different churches could be a sign of disunity, but not necessarily. The thing that counts is belief, belief in Jesus. The thing that counts is that relationship with the Father through the Son. He's come from the Father and He's the only way to know the Father. And so unity needs to be around Christ. And so it's not denominations that are the problem. Um, The real place where unity or disunity happens is around Jesus. And so you can have disunity uh, within a church, within a denomination, more disunity there than across uh, loads of churches uh, if they disagree on Jesus. Because Jesus' mission is to bring that intimate knowledge of the Father, people into relationship with God. And so wherever Christians listen to that word and believe, then they are truly united in the deepest sense drawn into that relationship between the Father and the Son. Jesus' uh, mission of transmission means unity in the church, but it also means animosity from the world. That's really clear. Have a look at verse 14. Uh, Jesus is talking about his disciples and he says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. See, uh, if Jesus came from the Father into the world and was hated, then his disciples will be hated too because they carry Jesus' words as well. They share the same mission of making the Father known and so they share the same consequence, hated by the world. But why does the world hate them? Well, it's because the disciples are different. Verse 14... He says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. They're different. They're not of the world. 
Remember that? That Jesus has come from the Father. And because uh, Jesus has put them into that relationship with the Father, it means they're not of the world any longer. They have a different identity. They're different people. They have a different origin now. They belong to God. And so they don't fit in here. They don't tell you the line. It's, it's uncomfortable. And if you're a Christian, then you're the same. You don't fit. You have a different origin. And the world hates that because it feels like a criticism. As you stand apart, different, it's a criticism onto the world. It's like that person who has eco-friendly everything. You know, they bring their own stainless steel drinking straw uh, when they go out to a cafe and um, they don't use cling wrap, they've got the beeswax uh, things and a keep cup and they take their own bamboo cutlery everywhere. Like, and just the very fact that they're doing that, right? It feels like a criticism if you're not also doing that. And now, that's just a, like a trivial example. They're good things to do if, you, if you're that kind of person. But imagine how much more it is for the world when Christians carry the message of Jesus into the world. It's so different. The world hates that. They don't want to hear about Jesus, and so they hate the ones bringing that message. Christians face animosity because we're not of the world. And you can see that in heaps of different ways. Uh, But we're especially not of the world when it comes to sexuality. It's offensive uh, to say that sex is reserved for marriage the way that Jesus teaches. Uh, The world hates it uh, when we say that we're not free to express our sexuality however we want because we're made by God. And he tells us what is best and for our flourishing. And that makes Christians weird, right? And the world takes offence at that because we're not in agreement with them. But we're not of the world. We're not from here. And so Jesus prays. He prays for his disciples. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. To sanctify something is to make it holy. Jesus says, set them apart. Make them different, Father. Uh, Set set them apart for a special use, this mission that I've given to make uh, the Father known. That's what it means to be holy, to have a special purpose. And so just as Jesus sets himself apart for his special mission uh, and then sends the disciples, he he prays that his disciples might be set apart. They're set apart with his words, given that same mission. The goal is unity uh, in the church and the consequence is animosity from the world. I think that helps us uh, enormously when it comes to thinking about the world and how we fit into the world. Because take that example that we started with, how do we uh, respond when a friend asks us to come out drinking? How do you answer that question? Well, I think Jesus gives us a task, a goal, and an expectation. A task, a goal, and an expectation. We'll finish with this. The task is to make him known. Whether it's uh, at a party or whether it's on Facebook, whatever it is, our task is the same as the task that the disciples were given, that is, making Jesus known. 
making the Father known through the words of Jesus, to share Jesus with everyone around us. We've been caught up in Paul Revere's ride, right? The, the, the disciples come, have come and woken us up, uh, told us uh, to get out of bed and spread the message, pass on the news, that the Father can be known. That's the task for us. Whenever we engage with the world, we should be thinking, how can we do this? How can we pass on the message of Jesus? But we have to remember the goal. The goal is unity with him, to be drawn into that intimate relationship with the Father. And so we won't do whatever it takes just to make Jesus known. We won't uh, sin or get drunk or do things that will compromise our holiness just to, to be in a position to say something about Jesus. We won't do that because our goal is that relationship with him. That's the thing we want. That's the thing we want for ourselves, but that's the thing we want for our friends that they might be caught up in that same unity, that intimate relationship between the Father and the Son and His people. That's the goal. And we'll have an expectation. Uh, The expectation will be that people will hate us. Should you go to the pub or not? Whatever you decide, you'll probably be disliked. Because... Uh, To belong to Jesus is to belong to another world. Not to be of this world, but to be of the Father. Jesus says, I came from the Father and I entered the world. And so if we hold to Jesus' words, we'll be out of place. Not of this world. And that's the point. That's why Jesus prays. He prays to encourage his disciples that no matter what, Uh, even when they face animosity and hatred from the world, uh, that they will hold firmly to him, that they will have that relationship. And he prays uh, so that uh, none might be lost. Jesus won't lose you. Uh, When you're the odd one out for holding to Jesus' words, uh, that's the idea. That's the point, for you to be different. Uh, He set us apart, sanctified us for this mission of transmission to bring the knowledge of God into a lost world. And Jesus' mission won't fail. That ought to be our expectation as we go and do it. Both that uh, we will face hatred from the world, but that Jesus won't lose track of us and that God's mission won't fail. Here's how he finishes his prayer, uh, talking about all believers. And we'll finish here. Jesus says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. Amen.